0: your boobs are, yes. I wouldn't know. Hello, and welcome to the next 10,000 Hours. This is your host, Kitty Nickian, and uh, that big, burly, loud guy next to me, Dan Sawyer, is just fell out of his chair.
1: I'm just dying. Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. <sighs>
0: A note to all the cops that may be listening, I had nothing to do with this.
1: It was entirely self-inflicted. See? Confession right there. I've been killed by open source software. (laughs) I knew it would come to this eventually.
0: So it is time to switch to a Mac?
1: Oh, fuck no. That would be way worse. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the next 10,000 hours, your peek behind the curtain at an ever-evolving small media studio in the San Francisco Bay Area that is trying desperately to stay ahead of the learning curve. So we've decided that the first segment of this show will be called Behind the Scenes. This week, we give you a behind-the-scenes look at how you construct a marketing video on a deadline. Shh! This is J. Daniel Sawyer, ostensibly your host, who is brain-dead today, and that was Kitty Kien, who is your other host. Who is not particularly brain-dead today. Who's had prodigious amounts of caffeine, the likes of which would kill an ox. Caffeine! We have been slammed ramping up for the Crud Rat uh, launch, and uh, there's been this massive amount of video production, including animation... And all sorts of stuff that left us the other night when it was time to record, sitting in front of the mic going, Yeah, so so we like did things and stuff.
0: It sounded a little bit like the uh, zombie podcast. (laughs) I thought you were referencing a real podcast. Well, might be one. (laughs) I don't know. There should be a zombie podcast. Someone make a zombie podcast.
1: And we didn't want to subject you to that, so this is our second attempt brains sorry and this time since i'm dead kitty will lead the discussion about what it's like to have to relearn a bunch of stuff that you haven't done in a while
0: and i apologize in advance what for because i'm me and that's
1: pretty darn weird there's a reason you're here you know they're weird too Ah! no they don't live in the microphone (laughs) much as it looks like it that is not a little self-contained world which we are orbiting with our noses
0: You just came up with my next story.
1: (laughs) So one of the fun things about repurposing an entire company, even when the company is only two people plus plus subcontractors, is that you get to apply the skills that you've learned the hard way towards things that you've avoided because they're too much of a pain in the ass. Like, for example, marketing. Yep. Up Uh, to now, we've done feature work and short mm -hmm. films and... Stuff for theater companies and and internal corporate communications and
0: we did do a bit of marketing, but um, most of our marketing background is photograph these rubber duckies
1: that's taking true. a nap i, I that 's true i did I did a lot of photography work for a marketing company, company but that 's a little bit different because I was a sub for them yeah um and but but most of what we 've done aside from the occasional podcast promo is um content rather than advertising yep every time we've worked in advertising it's been someone else designing the campaign so we're sort of walking out on a little thin limb here and dangling off the end like a lead weighted christmas ornament
0: you could just go with a fishing analogy there because they use lead weights that dangle from sticks
1: yeah but that doesn't give the visual image of that thin little bow bending to the point where it almost breaks and Uh, uh, dooming you to fall to a crashing, smashing death on the hardwood floor below and becoming a hazard to all the cats in the environment.
0: But it does include the visual image of potentially getting a gigantic
1: tuna out of it. (laughs) (laughs) This is why they call you Kitty, isn't it? Yep. I think you should go back to your original name. Mm. (laughs) i just think it would be really interesting to watch people try to pronounce Feldsparnikian. <laughs> <laughs> so our challenge was to figure out how to repurpose all the tools and skills at our disposal and to make something that would make people who we have never had any contact with want to give us money to create an audiobook of a book they've never read that sounds easy enough. People evidently do it every day. So we had a bit of a learning curve. And by the way, if you want to see how this turned out, you can on Tuesday morning at www.crudrat.com where there will be a link to the Kickstarter. Woo! Unless we get caught up in moderation for something that I didn't catch. So Dan unloaded
0: all the marketing... Or, uh, whatever. What is that? <laughs> Anim- pictures! <laughs> so Dan unloaded all the picture work on me. All the things that involve pictures. Can you tell
1: we did about seven 18-hour days in a row on this thing? And we've gotten like about five hours of sleep (laughs) in the past week.
0: So Dan unloaded all the animation work on me. And, well, not the animation work so much as, here are some blanks. Fill it with images. We need some kind of image. Videos, pictures, whatever. Just find a way to fill this up for me.
1: I should back up and explain the process. We shot an interview with Gail Carriger that sort of laid out the basics of the book and how she came to write it and all these things. And then we went through all the footage and edited together all the best parts that told the story that we were wanting to tell. Because, right, marketing's about a story. At least that's what all the books say. <laughs> <laughs> and that left us with Sort of a loose structure once we played Rubik's Cube, an anagram with all the pieces, and figured out the order in which they would go to tell the story we wanted to tell. And at that point, we had to connect the different segments to each other. So then I got to write the script and send different bits out to different voice actors so that you wouldn't just have to be listening to my ugly voice the whole time. And then I had to convince Kitty that putting me in front of the microphone and filming that is not sexy. Because she's biased and delusional on that point. Very (laughs) delusional, apparently. He is kind of cute. Yeah, but I'm not that cute. I got that funny gap in my teeth. People wouldn't want to give me money. They'd they'd be afraid I'd use it on an orthodontist or something.
0: (laughs) If I gave you a million dollars, you still wouldn't go to an orthodontist. It's true. (laughs) You're like the veterinarian in in Garfield. You have an adorable gap between
1: your teeth. (laughs) I've been Garfielded. Oh, God. So when we got to this point, we had the script, and I had recorded the sound, and I basically laid in sound over black cards and then video of Gale and sound over black cards and video of Gale. Um, And the black cards had writing on them that described what the narration was talking about and how long we had to do it so that uh, it would be easy to look at the cards and figure out what we needed to fill. At that point, I looked over at Kitty and said, Hi... You do cartoons, and and artwork, and you've been doing layout for twenty years, and you would have some idea of what should go here, don't you? Please save me because I'm fucked.
0: And I pretty much went ah! And after I stopped screaming and flailing, I said, "Well, you know those marketing videos where drawings happen in like super fast time and and then disappear." That would be cool. We could do that. And it would take more time than just flashing a drawing. And we need to fill space. So
1: Doodle this would be art. good.
0: Uh, then I spent about a day and a half trying to get this to work on the computer, using a tablet and uh, drawing software, and finding that everything was kind of failing. It
1: just wasn't working right. So after about a day of this, I hear from the other side of the room,
0: Why does this always happen?
1: Ah! So I went over and took a look, and... She starts laying out what is not working. And we start reminiscing about other times this has happened and realize that there's this pattern.
0: Anytime I try to do a completely new task, I manage to find the most complicated and technically advanced way to do it to start out with, and I fail. And I always think, this uses a computer. It will be faster. It will be easier.
1: It will be better. It's one of these things i found working... um, in audio production and other things over the years, is that with any sort of new technology or new technique, there's the conceptual part, and for people like you and me, that's easy. You get like, you grasp the whole concept very quickly. And then there's the first stage where you do the proof of concept, and the proof of concept looks great. And then there's the debugging where you learn all the little ways it can go wrong. And this turns out to be about 90% of the work. <laughs> It takes a while to remember that you're in that stage when you're going through it, because you're like, I'm making progress. I've got my beta test results, and they need work, but they're going. I mean, this is a great idea. And then you realize, oh, I'm under a deadline. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't have three weeks to learn how to do this and to debug this. I have to get output out 20 minutes ago.
1: Yep. And then about three hours into that revelation, you realize that you don't understand the ins and outs of the new paradigm quite well enough to anticipate how long it's going to take to debug it. It could be just this one last bug fix. It could be a zillion. And at that point, when you realize you have no idea how far you are from done but you do have a definite finish time when it has to be finished or you die. At that point, you then panic, start running around and looking for interesting suicide implements. (laughs) It's not just you, I do this too. And then sit down and...
0: and... I have utterly failed at poisoning myself with caffeine, no matter how many times I try.
1: And then you sit down and go, okay, I've got three hours left. How the fuck am I going to do this? And that's when brilliance really flowers, because desperation creates balls. And part of the reaction to choosing the most sophisticated way of doing things is an aversion to looking risky and amateurish. And I've seen this happen with other pros throughout all kinds of disciplines. You always gravitate towards the fanciest thing, because if you can master that, it's going to be amazing. And then when you get under a deadline and you're panicked, then you have to really pull it out. Stop going for the easy fix and delve down and see what you can come up with that'll be spectacular on the limited set of tools you've got.
0: So, after bashing my head into a wall for several hours over the tablet computer issue, we realized that we had the equivalent of a tablet surface right in front of us, and it's called a whiteboard. And we had markers of different colors.
1: And then we ran into the next problem, which was that when we moved house last year, all of the filmmaking equipment, except for the camera, went into storage
0: uh, is that why we don't have the camera crane?
1: Yeah, because we want to have a recording studio for vocals. Ah, okay. So we can go get it out of storage. But this was about 11 o'clock at night. And you can't get stuff out of storage after the storage closes. They frown on that. They, consider, they, they use words like trespassing and burglary. And those are very mean words to throw at somebody. So we're sitting here. We've got the surface set up and realize I don't have my light bars. I don't have my camera crane. I don't have my heavy-duty tripod. I don't have any of the stuff I would normally use to hang a camera directly over a table and make gorgeousness out of what was on the other side of the lens. Or hang lights. So we wound up on quite a rummage, came up with a very long ruler and a C-clamp and a couple clip lights... Yep. And a photo tripod and a ladder, because we didn't have the remote video monitor either. So I wound up hanging out at the top of this ladder for about the next 12 hours through the dark of night, while Kitty sat and animated doodles of all sorts on the surface below. I drew things, and then I drew things, Um, and it was fun. And I tell you, I was so glad we were doing this now instead of 15 years ago, because 15 years ago, it the fastest you could transfer video from a camera to a computer was real time now, since we record on SD cards and CF cards, you can just take the drive right out of the camera, put it in the computer, load your footage into the timeline, and see if you still need anything else. So we did several cycles of this. We'd do our whole shot list, we'd load it all into the editor, we go, nah, you know, that's running too long, we still need a few more things here. And so we built our video from this. And, and then we got to the place where doodles were
0: not really thematically appropriate.
1: So, we needed some good films, some good stock films, some really high quality CGI and you know motion graphics and whiz bang stuff that you can't really do on a whiteboard. So, at that point, we were back into familiar territory. And after that, things went really easy. That's a long way of saying this is why the next 10,000 hours is late. Because we got to the end of that and we thought, we'll just record a quick podcast. And then we both fell we, asleep yeah, at we, the microphone. We turned on the microphone and we went. And we figured that wouldn't be very interesting, so we decided to delay a couple days and get a much better cast for you guys than than we could have done that night.
0: Apologies to all the sleep researchers that were really, really craving something like that so that's that i suppose we should uh so you've got a reading to do and i believe someone requested one of the lombard alchemist tales uh sunday morning giraffe
1: yeah the lombard alchemist tales are a dark comedic southern gothic style fantasy horror series that take place in a broken down old gambling town near a nuclear hot zone on the edge of nowhere And all connected to a little pawn shop run by a demon-possessed cat and his human slave. Which is why they're so uplifting.
0: They are actually my favorite of Dan's stories. And I I put emphasis on the creepy. Because they are so fun and creepy.
1: Sunday Morning Giraffe. A Lombard alchemist tale. By J. Daniel Sawyer. It was three in the morning on a Sunday in December, and Aldo wanted a giraffe. If Aldo had lived in Kenya, this wouldn't have been a problem. In a broken-down gambling boom town on the edge of nowhere in the high desert of Nevada, though, the situation was considerably more awkward. The problem was, if Aldo didn't get a giraffe, he wouldn't sleep. And it couldn't be a toy giraffe either. It had to be a proper, three-stories-tall African savanna cow with an ultra-long neck and brown spots. It might be enough to get him in close proximity with a giraffe, convince him that it was his but being kept at the zoo for safekeeping. Too bad the zoo was closed for the winter. But if Aldo didn't get his giraffe, nobody else in the house would get any sleep either, and they all knew it. He'd scream and cry and wander the house all night in his slipperfoot foot PJs, picking up knick-knacks and shaking them as if he could evoke their inner giraffness. That's what he'd done before when he wanted a submarine, and the time before that when he wanted a dinosaur. His parents, Bob and Judy, weren't given to indulging him. When his strange requests started—it was water balloons last Thanksgiving— they told him not to be silly. They were proof against his preschool manipulation techniques. His mother, particularly, was 85-proof gin against his manipulation techniques. His father's resolve was born of a successful military career, from which he had retired with a full pension. They'd become parents late in life, after raising an orphaned niece and nephew had hardened them against the nuttier desires of children. If the boy was unreasonable, he deserved to meet with frustration— Water balloons at the Thanksgiving dinner table were absolutely unreasonable. They'd put their foot down. There would be no water balloons. Bob's boss was over for dinner that day, and he'd worn a very formal and very old serge suit. A suit so old that it wasn't fireproof. When passing the mashed potatoes, he'd lingered too long over the silver candelabra that Judy had set out as a centerpiece, the poor man went up like a torch. By the time they put him out, he had burns over his whole left side and had to be rushed to hospital, but that was nothing to the steel-eyed anger in five-year-old Aldo's eyes when the paramedics left. "'What's wrong, Aldo?' Judy had asked. "'I said I wanted water balloons! You wouldn't listen! You never listen!' Then he stormed out, and they didn't see him again for several hours. After the afternoon's excitement, they didn't bother to follow him, They had other kinds of fretting to do. It wasn't until the incident with the submarine that they learned to indulge him when they could. He'd come into his father's study one Saturday night, insisting that he wanted a submarine. Divers bombed the reservoir dam. At that point, they got the idea. When Aldo wanted something totally inappropriate, they'd better listen. They didn't know how he knew. They were very sure he was too young to understand. So, at three in the morning on a Saturday, when Aldo woke up his parents clutching his teddy bear and pulling idly at its ears, demanding a giraffe in that half-absent way, Bob rolled out of bed and tried to find his pants without mooning his son. Then they went down immediately to the zoo, even though it was closed. On the road, Bob tried to pry the details out of the boy, but all Aldo would say was, It is the will of Almighty Flarn. Flarn was the rodent deity on the boy's favorite cartoon, some claptrap with talking barn animals. Bob gave up before they got three blocks and just drove on. The overcast which hung low in the winter lit the night red with reflected light from the city's preferred industry. The zoo's entrance, out on the north edge of town, was overgrown with long-dead ivy. The wan-sodium streetlights did it no favors, splattering it with light the color of bile, making skeleton-finger shadows grow from the tangle on the ancient brick walls and wrought-iron gates. Wrought-iron, chained against entry. Bob coaxed Aldo up onto his back and hiked around the side, looking for some kind of service entrance. Maybe they wouldn't be worried about security this time of year. The only thing on this end of town in the winter were the snowplows and the wolves. Around the back, they found a loading dock, and a garbage truck, and a custodian doing his late-night rounds with earphones on. Not hard to sneak past for a former infantry soldier. Inside, Bob took his son to the tallest of the barns in which, judging by the smells, the animals sheltered for the winter. And in the tallest, there were three giraffes, two adults tall as trees, and a juvenile. Bob let Aldo down, and he pranced up to the tall, chain-link fence that cordoned off the entryway from the pen. There you go, Aldo, Bob said. Three giraffes. Aldo held the fence like a spider monkey. He didn't respond to his father's voice, but after a moment his hands came off the fence and folded over his chest. He turned around, stamping the ground as he did so with great purpose. I said I wanted a giraffe. Aldo, those are giraffes. I want a real giraffe! Those are real giraffes. And so it went, round and round and round, until Bob gave up and took Aldo around to all the other barns that weren't locked. Maybe Aldo meant an elephant? A hippo? A parrot? No such luck. He meant a giraffe, all right, but he seemed to think that real giraffes were smaller, and nothing Bob could say would make a difference. Real meant whatever Aldo said it meant, and Bob was already frightened enough of the boy that his pride didn't get in the way very much. And so, an early morning excursion in the name of getting the kid to shut up and go back to bed turned into an all-day journey. First, they got caught by the custodian and kicked out of the zoo. Then they visited the animal shelters. Then they visited the pet shops. Nothing remotely fitting Aldo's personal definition of the word giraffe came to hand parents were stupid pretty much all adults were stupid but parents especially so okay sure they could read thicker books than he could but only because they made him turn his lights off at nine o'clock and he sometimes lost the bookmark and had to start over they didn't listen to him either no matter how clear he made himself because they thought he was stupid at least they were listening a little bit now Good thing, because according to the word of Almighty Florn, without a giraffe, everything would be ruined. It had to be a particular kind of giraffe, too. Aldo knew that for sure. It couldn't be an imaginary giraffe or a stuffed giraffe. It had to be as real as Legos. But it couldn't be one of those mooking big ones, the ones from the zoo as tall as a building. How did his father expect he'd fit that in his room? Duh! He could see it in his head, but finding words that his stupid parents would understand was going to drive him bonkers, even though his dad got him some ice cream for lunch. If he saw the inside of one more pet store or toy store, he was going to throw a fit just to teach the old man to listen. Or maybe he'd just shut up and say he didn't want it anymore and let them find out what happened when they didn't listen to him. That would teach them, but good. They were starting to get into parts of town where Bob wasn't comfortable bringing a child. Truth to tell, he wouldn't want to be here on his own either. Not at his age. He sold life insurance and knew the kind of surcharge they slapped on people who lived south of 50th Street. But short of going to the circus and the casino, the place down here was the last place to look. It was a pawn shop on the edge of the old suburbs where nobody lived because they did the bomb tests out in the desert when Bob was a boy. Radiation. Only the moron who owned the pawn shop was crazy enough to stay out here. Bob hadn't heard of the place until the last two pet shops on 45th. The salesgirls at both places had told him about it after Aldo started pitching fits. They seemed to take pity, either on the boy or on him. They both mentioned the pawn shop, saying, If it exists, that guy will have it. He's creepy, though. Or words to that effect. If they hadn't said that, Bob would have gotten the idea the moment he walked through the door and found himself face to face with a stuffed, ravening wolverine. He jumped, which made little Aldo roll his eyes and growl. He and Judy were going to have to do something about that boy. These premonitions of his had given him an entirely too high idea of himself. Any self-respecting parent would have given the brat a thorough thrashing. Bob hadn't, and he kicked himself every day for it. Aldo, meanwhile, had had enough of Bob standing around looking at the Wolverine and scurried into the pawn shop on his own. Aldo! Goddamn kid wouldn't listen, he just ran on in. Bob entered with more caution, and then wished he hadn't come down. Just let the kid go without his stupid giraffe. Would have been better anyway. Teach little Aldo to cope with disappointment. The place was ice cold, even though a fire burned brightly in the hearth, and festooned with skulls and occult artifacts of the sort that he used to hear about in high school. The kinds that kids that dressed in black always wore around their necks. This was probably the kind of place where they sold contracts with the devil. Aldo was drawn right away to the expensive case full of trinkets and collectibles. His little face pressed up against the glass as if there were puppies on the other side. That's it! That's it, Daddy! That's it! The object of Aldo's affections was real, all right. And it was a giraffe, but Bob couldn't figure out how it qualified as a real giraffe. He shrugged and rang the bell on the counter, As if summoned from the pit of hell, a sharp-dressed young man appeared with an old, diseased cat on his shoulders. At Bob's request, he produced the trinket from the showcase. Here we go, he said in a gentle drawl. Genuine 1936 giraffe pull toy made by Lambert and Sons. Gorgeous condition. Pawnbrokers evidently had the same definition of gorgeous as used car dealers. The toy, eighteen inches tall, was scratched and beat up like it had been well used and then left to rot in a forgotten attic for 60 or 70 years. Its left eye was missing, its left ear bent double and rusted on the exposed metal. The colors had faded from brown and white to a kind of dull purplish over equally dull yellow, and its cast-iron wheels were rusted solid in place. The pawnbroker wanted 300 bucks. Bob tried to dicker, but at the first suggestion that he might be willing to pass it up, Aldo lost it. He ran in place and wailed loud enough to wake the dead. In this shop, Bob fully expected the dead to start shambling in and asking if they could hawk their gold teeth. Okay, 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 shut up, he muttered, and dug into his pocket for a credit card. Fine, I'll take it. The proprietor looked at the little shit, then up at Bob, something approaching pity in his cold, dead eyes. I'll tell you what, since you've had a bad day, I'll take the kid off your hands. So that is Sunday Morning Giraffe. If you would like to read the rest of it and read more Lombard Alchemist tales, you can find them at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Kobo, and everywhere fashionable ebooks are sold.
0: And even more importantly, pretty soon you will have more Lombard alchemist tales so we can bundle up a story collection.
1: And put it out in paper. Yeah, that's yes! has yeah, got one, about one, one, three half-finished that are, that once they're done, we'll have our first story collection.
0: Yay! Welcome to Kitty's Corner. Tonight on Kitty's Corner, I am going to talk about one of my favorite things in the whole world. Caffeine. Caffeine is a glorious thing, it is the one thing that has helped me survive this week. There are many kinds of caffeine, but the best, the most glorious of all, is coffee. Oh man. Coffee. Oh, coffee. Hot, steamy, rich, delicious, and oh god, the smell. Wait, am I talking about a beverage or my ideal date? Um. And back to coffee. Coffee. Hot, steamy, rich, delicious. Smells so good and wonderful. Topped with whipped cream and covered in chocolate. Coffee, I think I love you. You are the love of my life. Please marry me. Coffee. Words cannot express the depths of my love for coffee. Oh coffee. Coffee coffee. Yeah, caffeine is awesome. While I was drinking my coffee, I was watching a PBS special and I thought, ooh, that's what I should do when I grow up. Be a science educator. And you are going to be my test audience. Here is everything you need to know about science. Particle physics. It is the study of watching tiny things that move really, really fast until they hit each other and go boom. Cosmology. Cosmology is the same as particle physics, except it happens to galaxies. Astronomy, What the hell is astromony? Who put that there? Is that donkeys getting married? Oh. Oh! Astronomy! Astronomy is mapping the fires that are happening far, far away and a very long time ago fire. (laughs) And of course, fire is all about chemistry. Chemistry is the study of explosions not caused by things hitting other things. That's very important. Biology. Biology is the study of things that eat and are eaten by other things, often at the same time. Biology, of course, brings us to Bioengineering, which is this radical new science that everybody is afraid of, but shouldn't be, because it is all about making bacteria our bitches. Yo. I may have been watching too much Breaking Bad. Bitch. And now we diverge to architecture. Architecture? How is that a science? Architecture is the study of how to put things on top of other things so they don't fall down and go boom. Science is all about things going boom. Boom, 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 boom. Archaeology is treasure hunting for history buffs, sadly involving fewer whips than on television. Not so many alien abductions either. Closely related to archaeology is geology, and geology is the study of the world's slowest game of bumper cars. And finally, paleontology. This is the study of how to turn animals into rocks, not to be confused with a barbecue which is in fact the process of turning animals into tasty, tasty charcoal. And that concludes your science lesson for today. That is everything you need to know about science and caffeine. Caffeine is brilliant. 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 I love caffeine.
1: Okay. Okay. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough because you obviously do need some sleep after all those 18 hour days this week. (laughs) So, yes, as you can see, we're a bit thrashed. I suppose one of the... (laughs) I suppose the only useful takeaway is that the next 10,000 hours after your first 10,000 hours is that time in which you get to discover how to repurpose tools that you have learned but never thought to apply to a new and novel situation that you think is going to be far easier to do than it is.
0: While powered entirely by caffeine.
1: While powered entirely by caffeine. So, for uh, until next time, next week, a new episode of Free Will. Hopefully, really, honestly, and for true, it'll be on time this time because it's already edited. I just have to do the mix down. So, until next Thursday with episode three of Free Will, this is J. Daniel Sawyer. And this is Kitty Nakian Saying, pelt your enemies with lemons. The bright colors might distract them. <laughs> See you next week. The Next 10,000 Hours is a production of Artistic Whispers Productions in Castor Valley, California, and features Por Una Cabeza, a work in the public domain arranged and performed by Danny Shade. This podcast is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the performers.